We are in Genesis chapter 14. Is it up there? All right. Here we go. In the days of Amraphel, king of Shinar, Arioch, king of Elisar, Cadalamer, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of Goim, these kings made war with Bera, king of Sodom, Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Shinab, king of Adma, Shimabar, Shimabur, king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zor. And all these joined forces in the valley of Siddim, that is the salt sea. Twelve years they had served Cadalamer, but in the thirteenth year they rebelled. And in the fourteenth year, Cadalamer and the kings who were with him came and defeated the Rephaim and Ashtaroth Carnium, the Zuzim and the Ham, the Emim and Shaveh Kiriathim, and the Horites in their hill country of Seir as far as El Paran on the border of the wilderness. Then they turned back and came to Enmeshpat, that is Kadesh, and defeated all the country of the Amalekites and also the Amorites who were dwelling in the Hazazan Temar. Then the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Adma, the king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zor, went out, and they joined battle in the valley of Siddim with, with Kedalmer, king of Elam, Tidal, king of Goim, Amraphel, king of Shinar, and Ariok, king of Elisar, four kings against five. Now the valley of, valley of Siddim was full of bitumen pits, and as the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some fell into them, and the rest fled to the hill country. So the enemy took all the possessions of Sodom and Gomorrah and all the provisions and went their way. They also took Lot, the son of Abram's brother, who was dwelling in Sodom and his possessions and went their way. Then one who had escaped came and told Abram the Hebrew, who was living by the oaks of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eshcol and of Anir. These were allies of Abram. When Abram heard that his kinsmen had been taken captive, he led forth his trained men, born in his house, 318 of them, and went in pursuit as far as Dan. And then he divided his forces against them by night, he and his servants, and defeated them and pursued them to Hobah, north of Damascus. Then he brought back all the possessions and also brought back his kinsmen Lot with his possessions and the women and the people. After his return from the defeat of Cadalomer and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shavah, that is, the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons, but take the good for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take a thread or sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me. Let Anir, Eshkol, and Mamre take their share. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I feel like me reading that out loud should like come with like an associate's degree at least, something. I practiced that like 20 times. Um, hey, my name is Larry Walker. I'm on staff here at this church. Uh, if you're new, I'd love to meet you. I see some new faces. There's always new faces here on a Sunday, and I usually try to position myself right at the front door so that when you walk out, you can't get by me. So I'm going to try to do that again. So you're going to meet me. You know, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Uh, welcome to Liberty. Uh, we're really glad you're here. We have been going through uh, the book of Genesis. Um, it's a long book, and it opens up all the, the great cultural cans of worms that it, you, know, you can address as a Christian. So we figured we're not doing anything else right now, so let's go ahead and tackle that. 
Um, we've been following the path of the life of Abraham, the patriarch. Uh, at this point, still called Abram. So if you're new to Christianity or new to the church, um, this is your first time here, welcome. Uh, there's going to be a lot of like figuring out where you go, but um, for everyone, there's a first time coming to a church. I remember my first time, and I thought those people were crazy, okay? Uh, so, you know, just join our crazy party right now. Um, so we're in the life of Abraham. Where we're at in the story, I'm going to try to catch you up on the first 13 chapters. God has called Abram, who's this from a pagan family, out of his people and asked him to go to a new land, okay? Um, he gives him a promise that he'll make a great nation of him and bless all the families of the earth. So Abram obeys, and he takes Lot with him, his nephew. And they take their possessions and their people, and they head toward the land of Canaan, all right? That's the promised land that God's promised them. Uh, they eventually get to the spot where they plan to put down some roots, and Abram gives Lot the choice of the land. They kind of go up to a place where they can see everything. He says, take a look. You know, there's been conflict between their people. They're, they're getting richer and bigger, you know, more livestock, so there's conflict, and they're saying, all right, let's divide, and this place is big enough for the both of us. So he says, if you go left, I'll go right. If you go right, I'll go left. Um, so Lot chose to settle in the Jordan Valley. He takes a look at the place. He assesses it. And he goes among the cities of the valley, and he moved into Sodom, where the men of, wicked, uh, men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. And he chose to kind of go, if you look at the map, he kind of chose to go as far as you could and still be in, like, obedience to God, you know? Uh, and to quote the best Indiana Jones movie, uh, he chose poorly. Um, that was the most controversial thing I said. People are going to argue with me about which one's the best Indiana Jones movie later. Uh, so you're sort of caught up, okay? What happens in this passage is what's uh, sometimes called like the, the battle of the kings. It's like something out of the Lord of the Rings if you're a Hobbit fan. Every time I read this, I think of uh, the battle of the five armies, you know? There's like a couple nerds nodding along with me. I see you. Uh, there's going to be a couple Hobbit Lord of the Rings references. I can't help it. So you have Caleb Lemaire and his kings who previously defeated the Rephaim. That is mentioned in this passage. Um, the, another translation of this word that I found is giants, right? We'll just, we'll just gloss over that real quick. Um, I'm just kidding. Uh, so it's, Stephen has a, uh, and if you look earlier in our sermon series on this, Stephen explains this. It's sort of this, without getting too deep into it, it's these people who were, um, it says that the sons of God and the, the daughters of men they have these like demonic offspring. It's really complicated, and I'm not going to get into it too deep with kids in the room. Um, but it's, it's a real evil brought onto the earth, right? And so the flood wipes out a good chunk of it, and then it comes back because it's a spiritual evil, and it comes back. And so God uses this king to defeat them. So he's, he's pretty mightily used by God. Sodom and Gomorrah, the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah, decide to rebel against that guy. Um, and they're defeated in a battle. It's, you, would, you would expect that. And as happens in all war, there's plundering that takes place. That's people and stuff. Still happens, right? Um, so I'm going to settle here for a minute. So Lot's life, we're going to talk about Lot for a minute. It is not going the way he had hoped, right? I think he probably heard his uncle was going to this promised land. Anybody, you know, seeing the brochures for that would jump on board. And life doesn't go great for him. He's quickly kidnapped. And if you look a few chapters later... Uh, it's going to get way worse. So a little spoiler alert. Um, I, w I think this is in large part because Lot is making shrewd and calculated decisions that don't factor in and ultimately pr are proven to be foolish de decisions. 
And what do I, what do I mean by that? Whenever I read about Lot choosing which way he's going to go in the land, um, this, this is the illustration that comes to my mind, okay? Uh, I always picture that, like, whenever my family and I choose to buy that poison that we call soda, you know, I have four kids, 14, 13, 11, and 7. And when we, like, get the glasses out and put them on the counter, because it's like a treat in our house to get soda, because it's poison, like I said. Um, and we pour the glasses, right? My kids become, like, the most calculated, shrewd, scientific versions of themselves, and ultimately very godless, right? Like they are measuring the glasses and they get out levels and scales. And when they figure out which glass has the most, they don't point out the inequity. They're not like, oh, dad, it's not fair. They're like, that's my glass, all right? And uh, that feels a little bit like what he did. He was like, hey, this place is, he says it's like the garden of the Lord. You know, it's well watered, it's beautiful, it's perfect. He's like, he's like I'll go that way, you go out there. Um, but you look and it's like right up against what it means to be disobedient, actually. Um, I'm not saying that it's wrong to go to a city, right? I love Philly. Uh, I'm not comparing Philly to Sodom and Gomorrah exactly. Um, I'm also not not doing it. Um, we all live here. Um, I would say that he fails to act priestly, and we're going to get into the priesthood. You know, that's the meat of this passage, I think. He fails to act priestly and oversee his people well. Um, and... He fails to take into account the spiritual effect of his family, himself, and those around him. And what's the purpose? So if you go to a city or stay in a city, uh, I recommend that you don't come here for your fortunes. I recommend that you come here as missionaries and as a priest. Um, recently, this week, Stephen Wood used the word pernicious uh, around me, and I love words. Um, so I, that word has been stuck in my head. So I've been thinking about, it's like the sneaky, creeping evil, you know? Um, I've been thinking about how pernicious the enemy of our souls is in conjunction with the world and our flesh. Um, recently, my wife and I have been going through the process of buying a car, and uh, we've also been sort of just the first steps of considering buying a home uh, someday. We, we've never bought a home before, and we're just thinking about it. All the real estate agents just were like, noted. Um, and uh, we've been looking at buying in the greatest neighborhood in Philadelphia, which is obviously Port Richmond. Um, and uh, I just, I'm trying to say all the controversial things here. Um, but you know how many times, you know how when you drive down 95 and you're just bombarded by advertisements and you, you, you open your email and you're bombarded by advertisements? Um, recently, people have been using, you just start to notice buzzwords like need and deserve, you know? And as I was writing the sermon, I got a, uh, an email from Carvana, and it said, you deserve, it said, Larry, you deserve the, cars, the car of your dreams. And I was like, do I? Really? Does my wife know that? Does my family of six need a Dodge Charger? Really? Orange with black racing stripes? Um, I don't think so. Uh, I think they're saying it would make you really happy. I have this fascinating story, I'm not going to tell it all right now, of a, of a time when I tried to switch from a flip phone to a, from a smartphone to a flip phone, I went to Verizon. And they were like, what are you doing? And uh, they were like, you need a smartphone. I was like, need? And they're like, we create need. A salesman said that to me. And I was like, man, you just like let me see in, like, inside you a little bit there. You know, It was very interesting. Many of the things, I think what they're saying is like, it would make you happy. And so they use words like deserve. And 
uh, I just want to say many of the things that would make me happy would definitely not make me holy and maybe probably not even make me healthy, you know, with like eating a cheese pizza and a pint of ice cream and watching YouTube all day be good for me? No. But there are days when that's all I want to do. It's not a good idea, you know. Um, it definitely wouldn't make me holy. Um, so what I'm saying to you is beware of the lie of pursuing happiness in your life, okay? There's a big difference between happiness and joy. Um, and grown adults pursuing their happiness will often tear themselves and their families and sometimes whole communities apart. Um, that's the stuff they don't say in the advertisements. And I think that's what's happening to lot here. So God calls us to pursue faith and faithfulness. Um, so point one, I guess, is beware of your happiness. Um, all right, so then Abram comes to, to Lot's rescue. Um, uh, Really, God comes to Lot's rescue on behalf, like through Abram, right? So God uses Abram to act in this priestly way. So when you fall for the lie of pursuing your happiness, right? Um, when you're at your least worthy, in a sense, um, and you're kind of getting your just desserts, God comes to your rescue. I, I don't know, you know, one of my fears in preaching, it's funny, whenever I tell people I'm going to preach now, I just get this bombardment of people who are like, don't be nervous. And I realized, like, I made, a, like, a critical error my first, like, five, six years here. I'm on year, coming up on year seven, so most of my time here, and expressing anxiety about preaching. So I feel way less and less nervous about just, like, the public speaking aspect of it. The two fears I think I have the most are that what is said up here will come off as trite, right? Like, it'll just be, like, this <sighs> meaningless thing. Like, I... I'm an elder at this church. I know your lives a lot, you know? Like, I meet with many of you when I look around this room, and I know that you're going through things, right? In some ways, you're struggling. In some ways, you're joyful, right? And I don't want to just spit theological crap out up here, you know? Um, I also, one of the things I struggle with is not so much am I a good preacher, but am I a good man at all, right? Um, and the answer really is, like, kind of no, and sometimes yes, mostly no, you know? Um, so when I, when I land on this point, I want you to know that's where I'm coming from, that all we have to look to is God for our rescue, okay? I'm not saying, I'm not trying to fly over this like Lot got what he deserved and God rescued him, so what I'm saying to you is whenever you're at your darkest, when you're at your most ashamed, you know, whenever you're feeling terrible and you can't stand to look in the mirror, you know, you just feel like when you look in the mirror, you should just yell at yourself, you know? I've been using this Noom app to try to lose weight, and it's so nice to me, and I hate it. <laughs> like, I can't stand it. Every day, it's like, hey, we're so happy you're awake. You know, time to eat breakfast. Doesn't everybody like breakfast? I'm, I'm like, I need you to yell at me, you know, and tell me how I've ruined it, you know? And, you know, talk to me the way I talk to myself in the mirror, um, well, just know that, that God comes to your rescue, okay? And for the thousands of ways, man, I've, I was thinking about this, like, what about all the people? It just says, you know, and, and Abram got back the people and the women. And I'm like, just, there are people along for the ride here, you know what I mean? And what if, like, your things have happened in your life that have really little to do with your decisions? You've just been taken on the ride, you know? Well, I would still say God comes to your rescue, and that's the only hope you've got. Um, so look to God for your rescue. All right, this is where 
the next part here where it's, it's, it's really difficult not to get into like the theological weeds. And if you're a bit of like a, a, like a Bible nerd, this is super interesting stuff. So we see Abram go into the valley of Shave. I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce it. He's met and blessed by one of the most mysterious people in all of history and literature. His name is Melchizedek, which I wrongly pronounced until pretty recently as Melchizedek. Um, this is a priest king before there were priests. And uh, as I was given this passage to, to study, I was like, this is super interesting, and I kind of have no clue what I'm doing. Um, in part because a whole lot of people in church history, on a lot of different theological perspectives, really don't know exactly who this guy is. Um, thankfully, we do have Psalm 110, Hebrews 5 and 7, and I had uh, Bobby Wanger's notes from a Bible study that she and Mandy did at Penn. So if you are confused, I would really, I would really encourage you to ask Bobby for her notes uh, and go read Hebrews. Um, I, I like how that got a laugh, and I'm dead serious. Um, if I'm honest, and I, and I should be, there's a lot I don't understand. There's a lot of disagreement. But I don't want to get up here and pretend. I don't want to get up here and pretend I know everything. But I also don't want to pretend I know nothing. Um, so every time I read about Melchizedek, I've always thought about Tom Bombadil. Anybody else? All right. Thank you. All right. He's this guy who just like shows up. I think it's in the Fellowship. Maybe is he? Maybe he's in the Hobbit too. No, just the Fellowship. Where's Connie McDowell when, when you need her? Um, and he's sort of is like this godlike figure who can fix things and doesn't. He plays his part and then he leaves. Um, so here's just, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through two things that I, that I think we do know, and I'm going to compare this priesthood to the Levitical priesthood. So here's a couple things the Bible tells us about Melchizedek, and they're pretty trippy in my opinion. He has no genealogy, okay? And it's not that it just doesn't tell us, it says he has no genealogy in Hebrews. That's, that's not in this passage, by the way. You, to understand this guy, I think you've got to spend a lot of time reading Hebrews, Okay. Uh, it says, quote, he is without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, he remains a priest continually. And I, I think, I think just, this is Larry's opinion, but I think this is something like a theophany. It's somewhere where God shows up. It's like, you know, Daniel in the lion's den. It's, you know, with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the burning, in the fiery furnace. It says, and there was a fourth in there like the Son of God. I don't know how you explain this otherwise. Um, an angel of the Lord, maybe. It's something that's not like, like this, like me, you know? Um, it reminds me of that language. So there's, he has no beginning and no end in some strange way. Um, his priesthood existed, this is the second point, is his priesthood existed before there was a Levitical priesthood, um, which is really kind of trippy. If, you, if you're new to this or if you like, don't think about this stuff a lot, this is very, it's confusing in a lot of ways. It means the priesthood is something very, it's eternal, right? And we're getting a glimpse into something that's mysterious. Um, so what is the priesthood? I'm just going to give you some, some quick, like, boundaries here. So a priesthood is someone who brings life and order where they are placed, okay? Um, it's someone who brings God to the people and the people to God, okay? And he comes out and he serves what looks a lot like communion, uh, and he's called a priest of the Most High God before there was a priesthood, which is really interesting. Uh, there's a lot you can say, um, but what I would sum it up as, uh, the Melchizedekian, that's like a $10 word, priesthood is superior to the Levitical priesthood, okay? And the new covenant under Christ is superior to the old covenant under the law. So then I wrote out these four sort of comparisons. 
And it's, it sounds dry, but it isn't dry. Let me just say that. So here's a, here's a contrast. I'm just contrasting the Levitical priesthood with this priesthood, okay? The Levitical, pri- the Levitical priesthood is limited to one tribe, the tribe of Levi, okay? It cannot transform mortal and corrupt humanity because it consists of mere men, okay? Um, in contrast, because Melchizedek is without earthly genealogy, so is Christ by virtue of his virgin birth. He is God incarnate, immortal, and sinless. And therefore, his priesthood is able to transform humanity and not just one tribe. He's not, because this is not connected to one tribe, it's connected to humanity, right? Um, that was a lot. And what I just said was like, it's really deep. And it's going to take time to chew on it. I'll give you my notes afterwards. Secondly, the power given at ordination is incomplete for the Levitical priest. Uh, the Levitical priesthood is weak, right? Its sacrifices have to be repeated, and it really can't perfect its worshipers. It cannot reconcile people to God nor give them the inner power to obey. Uh, the ordination is without direct confirmation by God. All right. In contrast, the power given at ordination is strong and effective. This is Christ's priesthood, we're told in Hebrews 7. The power of Christ's priesthood is perfect and draws us near to God. His sacrifice is offered once for all. He, the Father himself ordains the Son. The Levitical priesthood is temporary. Since it is composed of mortal men, it requires you to keep adding members to it because people die. Um, in contrast, since Christ is immortal, the priesthood of Melchizedek needs only one eternal priest. Um, four, the Levitical priests are less than perfect. They're all created being subject to sin. In contrast, the requirement of perfect holiness is met in Christ, the only sinless one. He is more than mere man. He is the Son of God. Um, that was the section of the sermon I was most nervous about because it's the deepest waters, and it's why I'm sweating the most, you know? Stephen and I, uh, last, uh, on Thursday, we were talking about, is it appropriate to wear sh- shorts when you're preaching? And uh, I would say, uh, is it appropriate to look like you just got out of a swimming pool as well? You know, it's, I feel like I'm in a tanning booth. Um, so what does this mean for you, dear friends? Uh, look to the ultimate priest as your mediator between you and God. I know you've heard that before, uh, but just think through the many times that you found yourself looking to other things, Okay. Um, it's not your success or your money or your power or your standing or what other people think about you or the stability in your life or your happiness or how your children are doing. Um, salvation is only sure through Christ. That's a lot to take in. And as I said, ask Bobby for her notes. All right, finally, how do you like apply any of this? Um, I was at a wedding yesterday and I told Rebecca Woods Rebecca Woods, what I was preaching on, and she was like, great, I was just thinking how much I needed to hear about Melchizedek in my daily life. (laughs) Uh, So what's the practical application for all this, right? Well, there is this beautiful doctrine that I love that came out of the Reformation called the priesthood of all believers. Um, During the Reformation, there were such abuses in the medieval church that Luther uh, re-examined the role of the priesthood and, and especially in light of Christ. And what does that mean? Um, so uh, I want to talk about this for just a minute and finish this way. Uh, here's what it isn't. What I'm not saying is that there uh, should be no priests, pastors, or bishops or anything like that. That's not what I'm saying. Uh, there's absolutely something mystical and, as I said earlier, something eternal about this priesthood. And overseeing the word and sacraments is an important role, and we see it throughout the New Testament. But then what is the priesthood of all believers? Um, when you look at 1 Peter 1, uh, 9 and 10, 
it says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That means that any one of you who is here, who names the name of Christ as your only hope, in some real, very real way, functions as a priest in this world. You're privileged. Um, if you look at the words, it says chosen, royal, made holy, God's possession, God's possessive of you. You're wanted by God, and you are someone who has received mercy. For what? So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Your nature, even. It's, it's not just what you're supposed to do, right? We talk a lot about roles, you know, as though we're defined by just, like, doing stuff. This is something that stems out of the nature of, like, what you are and who you are now. It's what you're here for primarily. Uh, I recently heard it described as a directedness of being. It's like, it's like a bit of a homing beacon for you in this life. So you are to bring God to your families. You're to bring God to your neighbors, to your blocks, to your coworkers, to river wards, to Philly in general. And uh, ultimately all of creation is what the church is called to. And you're to bring the, those people, your families, your blocks, your jobs, all the people you've encountered to God in prayer. Uh, and act as a priest. 2 Corinthians 5 puts it this way. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So what does this matter in like the day-to-day -day stuff? Um, I was thinking about this. Like if you're changing a kid's diaper, what does this mean? If you're just stuck in traffic, what does it mean? And I was, I was struck when I was putting my kids to bed which is usually like, uh, you know, boot camps have like a hell week, you know? Um, and if you have four children and you're trying to put them all to bed, it's, it's always interesting. Uh, and what's most interesting about it is usually the war within your own heart is what I'd say. Uh, it's the same for them. Every week, they're, every day, they're like, we didn't know bedtime was a thing, you know? Um, that's a Jim Gaffigan joke. Um, but every night, it's the same battle in your own heart. Right, And I was putting my kids to bed one night, pretty recently, and this is not written down. I, I, I don't know. Um, and I just found myself like, here's what I was doing. I was putting kids to bed, and I put in like my earbud to like listen to a podcast while I was like trying to soothe this child to put him to bed, because I was like, I do not want to be here right now, right? Um, which is terrible. That's just terrible. Right, because in like a few years, I'm gonna be like, "Where'd the time go?" You know, oh, they're all grown up, and I miss them. You know, and I just, just I lack the ability to see the meaning in it. You know, and so that's what I'm saying to you. I'm saying that that's actually where the meaning is. You know, we're looking for these giant, big things to do as Christians and change the world. It's like actually, it's the daily things. It's the simple presence things. You know, we, there's a meeting after church day with the homework club. That's my way of reminding you guys. Um, and what, what the key, I'd say, I, I'm guessing they would believe or agree with me on this, and you can call me out right now if I'm wrong. If I haven't checked this with you. I think the biggest thing you do is, is steady presence, right? Like you're just steady presence, okay? You don't, you're not saving the world. You're not knowing all the answers to everything. You are offering a steady presence in the life of kids whose lives are falling apart, 
okay? That's actually what we're supposed to do. It's the steady presence in your life, the steady presence in your job. There's actually meaning found in the tiniest of things. Way bigger meaning found in the little things than in the big things that are splashy and we post on social media. So that's how this applies to you. There's a way that you bring God to every situation because God resides in you, okay? So liberty, we're going through a lot of changes right now. We're exiting adolescence in a way as a church, you know? Uh, exiting adolescence is painful. It's hard. Um, it's okay, though. It's part of growing up. Um, as we wrestle through the questions of who we are, about space and leadership and all these things, uh, I would urge you and exhort you to get this idea of each one of us being priests in our communities into your bones. It's always been here, but there's this idea of a thing called mission drift when you're going through changes. Um, and it's the idea, like, if, we, if I left this country to, to sail to another country in a ship and I'm off by just, like, one or two degrees here, it seems like nothing. But then you end up landing in a completely different country if you're not careful. And so as we're embarking on wherever we're embarking to, this is a bit of a directedness that we need to have. Um, and if you think about it, I think it sounds a lot like live, speak, and serve, which is our, like our mission statement of our church. And I was very drawn to that mission statement, I still am. And so in some ways, if you're here, you're drawn to it too, whether you realize it or not. So by the grace of God, let's try to be about that. All right, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, let's pray. Lord, um, I pray that uh, you would help us, as I heard John say years ago, uh, to act as the beggars who found the bread. Um, Lord, we don't bring arrogance or pride to this mission you call us to. Uh, we bring humility and we bring our lives and our hands and our feet. Um, thank you for the good news. Thank you for saving us and for sending us and for the purpose. In Jesus' name, amen.